0: Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Oh well, it promises a lot. But it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times so I build walls love isn't worth the tears the pain, the loneliness the surrender, it's exhausting even when you try to do love right love fails I have made a mess out of love what good is it? it can't help me why well, love it all? why do I even try to love? why sacrifice to carry the burden? why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust, hoping, and you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me. But because he first loved me. So I thought to myself, what better place to start a a series on relationships and and God's design and, and the idea of how faith shapes our relationships than with a message on love. It's a little overwhelming, to be honest, but the the question that we're asking this morning is, I, I want to know what love is. Now, forgive me. Last week, I did an 80s song reference, and I didn't really think about it until my man Dave Fox reminded me that this is an 80s song reference. So I apologize for those of you in the 90s and beyond that, you know, uh, or some of you that are even, you know, pre-80s. But in any case, Mick Jones uh, asked this question as he was writing songs for the rock band Foreigner. And he wanted to know what love was. And Dave was reminding me that the storyline there is he's gotten back from a world tour. And they're at the height of their success as a rock band. And you would think, you know, he's got it all figured out, but yet he's sitting uh, by himself asking, you know, that very question. And I think it's a question that resounds even with us today. We want to know if we could, if we could get a definition, if we can understand more perfectly what love is, it's going to only help us as we interact with those around us, as we relate to those around us. So we want to try to unpack that today and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at how our faith shapes the relationships that we're in. Whether we're married or single, whether we're a child or a parent, whether we're uh, in a workplace uh, situation or uh, just in a neighborhood. We have relationships, we have friendships, we have people that we interact with regularly regularly and we need to know how does my faith how does my relationship with god shape how these relationships get formed and so we start today with love it's the foundation of everything that we do and it needs to, it should be it needs to be as people of god it should be what is impacting us so we want to start this morning with this idea that love is essential it is essential to Uh, what we do and it's essential to us because it is it is who God is let me prove that to you if you asked anybody that was following God or claimed to be a Christian and you asked them to describe God to you somewhere in those first couple sentences you're going to get God is love you're going to get that whether they believe it or not that that Maybe another story, but as we understand it, as we're trained and as we learn about God, that's one of the first things that we learn: God is love. Most of the ver- the most popular verse in all of the Bible, John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world." So we we, we recognize that it is who He is. Let me give you another verse that I I, I think is helpful at this point, and it's in First John, chapter four. So I'm going to invite you to turn to First John for the first part. Of what i want to say today is going to kind of flow out of first john 4. and as you find that let me just read to you verses 7 and 8. john says in first john chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love jump down to verse 16 of that same chapter he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. This is, it's the nature of God. It's his character. It's who God is. And let me just say, it's who God is even when we don't understand it. My study first hour, we were looking uh, this morning at some Old Testament passages that people use often to point to the fact that God is not love. And, and we were reconciling with ourselves and struggling with ourselves. How, how do those verses still indicate that God is a God of love? Because we're reminded over and over that God is love. It's his nature, it's his character, even when we don't understand. And we can be honest, um, the kind of love that we experience from God, if we really, truly look at Scripture and understand what the, the Bible teaches, it blows our mind. And it looks quite different than the kind of love that we experience day in and day out in the world. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But God's love is mind-blowing. And the reason it is, and the reason that we resonate so much with it, I believe, is that love is what we were created for. We were created to experience this kind of love that God uh, puts on us. It's our purpose. Matthew 22, Jesus reminds us, What's the first and greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. When when, when Jesus is put to to that question, he says, these are the two most important things. It's what we were created for. It's what gives our life purpose. It gives our life meaning. It's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Jesus said in John 13, by this, all men will know that you are my followers if you love one another. It's what we're created to do. It's who we are. It's who God wants us to be. And as that that little video just told us in quoting 1 John 4, we love because God first loved us. The only way that we can really even carry out this idea of love is because we first experienced it in God himself. And so we we need to recognize that, who God is, and that we were created to act and interact with people in a certain way. And if you do that, if we be, when we begin to understand God's kind of love, it's going to change us. It's going to change how we interact with people. It's going to shape our relationships. Let me give you an example. When you feel unconditionally loved, you're going to start cutting people a little bit more slack. When you... Um, understand love you're not going to be as angry as you have been in the past when you understand God's love you're going to be more patient you're going to be more forgiving you're going to be more merciful and you're going to be able to extend grace into people's lives about a year ago I was uh, doing a, a message that was related to love and I used this definition I want to share it with you again I said, love is a rugged commitment to seek the well-being of another person. It's a commitment. Nothing about feelings there. It's a rugged commitment. It's going to work us over pretty good to really seek the well-being of another person. But it's what we were created to do. And it's what we were created to experience. We were created to be loved. And we can't extend that kind of love unless we've experienced it ourselves. So we have to come to terms with the fact that God loves us in a supernatural, unconditional way. And when we come to understand that, that God has loved us in a certain way, it allows us to love that way ourselves. Now, we're going to run into a problem with that. And that's the second idea I wanted to share with you this morning. That is that love has been perverted. Now, I use the word perverted not necessarily just in a sexual way. The word perverted means it's been twisted. It's been distorted. It's been something that's been taken as true, and it's been broken and turned around, and it looks differently. Love has been perverted. And this love that we're more used to experiencing in the world uses people. It uses people. This kind of love is self-centered. Let me give you an example, even a Bible example. Some of you will know the story of Sarah and Abraham, and they they had some children, and Sarah couldn't have any kids of her own initially, and so her servant had a child with Abraham, and when Sarah eventually had her own child, she treated that servant terribly. And they basically exiled her and her son Ishmael out into the desert. Love is self-centered when it's broken and distorted. It's conditional. It's based on what you can do for me. It objectifies the other person. It turns them into an object. This is what makes pornography what it is. That it becomes an object that's going to fulfill that person is going to become an object that fulfills some need in me, some desire in me. It turns, it dehumanizes people and turns them into an object. This broken kind of love does that. It's inconsistent, it manipulates, it tells a partial truth, it, it works one person against another, it manipulates a situation to get what I want out of it. It's deceptive. It's centered on my feelings. I'll give you another example from the Bible. Samson. Read the story of Samson sometime. and That guy is driven purely by his own desires and his feelings. He knows what's right. He knows what his parents are telling him he ought to do. And he's driven solely by what works for him. By his desires, by his feelings. That's the broken kind of love. And it's short-sighted. This perverted, broken love is short-sighted. I want to share with you a quote I heard this week. From a celebrity, I won't tell you who it was, but she said this, she says, oh, that's not, this is not the quote, take that off, take it off, quickly, get out of there, all right. Here's, here, that's coming, but not, not yet. Her quote says this, I love hard, but when it's over, it's time to move on. So that's, that's a a person, now, I'm, we're going to talk about celebrities in a moment, but they get lifted up as if they're some kind of relationship ex- experts. I think sometimes, and and she had this to say about love. I, I love hard, but when it's over, it's time to move on. So there is an emphasis, an overemphasis in our world on this this kind of love, this broken kind of love. We we tell stories, we sing songs, we write books. Uh, there's television shows. Um, that, that talk about how love conquers all and love will do this for you and it's, it's this answer and it's that answer. And the reality is, uh, th- there's very little real relationship happening within those songs, within those TV shows, within those stories, within those movies. Because a real relationship is one where uh, I take out the trash, I pay the bills. Uh, we, we have a struggle with our kids, we have a struggle with our spouse... We have a struggle at work that's that's what a real relationship is and, and let's be honest it's pretty boring. It's pretty boring does not play well uh, for a TV show or for a movie, but that's a real relationship. The reality is most movies, most television shows, most stories really end just as a real relationship's getting started because a real re- relationship is full of this day-to-day stuff that it just isn't all that exciting. In fact, it's it's less than that. It's it's hard. It's hard. So when the media and, and other places in, in our culture splash love up there, it seems more desirable and it creates an image that's not very accurate. And here's a quote from just a... I, I, a woman off the street, I guess, or something, she said this, Romantic movies make you think your relationship is supposed to be so amazing, so passionate, and so exciting all the time. My marriage isn't like that. And sometimes, and sometimes I wonder if something's wrong. So we have television shows like The Bachelor, like The Bachelorette. So those are current, but let me go back to The Dating Game, Love Connection, I mean, these, these shows aren't all that new. We've, we've created this idea that a real relationship can happen within just a, a number of days and weeks. And so it creates a reality that cannot really be fulfilled. And it's been called, and I've called it uh, from this exact spot, this very same thing. It's been called emotional pornography. So it creates... A vision of something that really can't realistically be fulfilled. It does not happen in real life. It's based on the desire for happiness and personal fulfillment. And so, in the same way that pornography seeks to meet a certain need, this emotional feeling that it creates in us is, is trying to create something in us, a vision of something that will meet all of our needs. And the reality is, any real relationship's not going to fulfill that. In fact, uh, Barna, uh, research, the Barna Research Group, has done some research on uh, marriage, and they've, as they were talking with young adults, here's a quote from their uh, some of their latest research. It says, "Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last." that they do want their initial marriage to last, but they are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There there is also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea idea of serial marriage in which a person gets married two or three times. Now, we may say, that's terrible. Where have they learned that, though? They've learned that as they've watched their own families come apart. And so we, we recognize that there is... A view of love and a view of relationships that is broken. And so now I want you to see this quote. This is a quote from a recent celebrity breakup. Listen to what they say. We are lovingly choosing, we have lovingly chosen to separate as a couple. We fell deeply in love so many years ago and have had a magical journey together. Absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another, but love is a beautiful adventure that has taken us on different paths for now. Just two best friends realizing that it's time for us to take some space and help each other live the most joyous, fulfilled lives as possible. So if this is the picture of love, that it's really all about my personal fulfillment and my needs getting met, then we can see the brokenness of what we are up against and what we're faced with and it's very easy for you to say well you know that's terrible i would never think that way i would check yourself because i want us to be real careful to what degree we have been influenced by this kind of thinking now we may we may not go all the way to a statement such as this but we need to ask ourselves are we loving the way that god has laid out for us to love. We're going to touch on this in a second, but that's I think it's before we dismiss it and say those people are really broken and lost, we need to make sure about our own thinking. But there's more to love, I believe, than than just this momentary momentary excitement and my desires being met. There is a God-given purpose. And so I want to read to you from paul Sorensen, the quick quote from him he says your life as a believer in christ is to strategically give yourself away for the kingdom of god our world says here and now is the greatest good and making myself happy is paramount biblically love is about loving the other person and giving to them it's a 180 degrees from what we're seeing in our world It's not about my self-fulfillment. It's about how I can give myself away to another person. And more importantly, how can I build the kingdom of God? How can God's kingdom be enhanced by how I love and how I relate to the other people in my life? So let's look at this. Because when communities and churches and families and couples and individuals... When we can be honest with one another, when we can share life together, and when we can work to live healthy in healthy relationships, it creates the power to shape culture rather than being shaped by it. My fear is often we are shaped by our culture, and what we really need to be careful about is that as kingdom people, that we are living in such a way that we are shaping Now we're not imposing, I I want to be careful to say I'm not using my Bible, I don't pull out my Bible to make a point and prove somebody wrong, I really want to pull out my Bible and say, hey, here's how my Bible applies to this current event, here's how my Bible speaks into this story that's happening right now, and we begin to shape the culture around us rather than allowing it to shape us. So love is broken, it's perverted, it's distorted, and it's twisted. But that does not have to be the way in which we experience love in our life. So I want to finish this morning with this idea that real love prevails. And I can't think of a better place to go than 1 Corinthians 13. So find in your Bible 1 Corinthians 13. And what we read in 1 Corinthians 13 is overwhelming, really, in its scope, in what it creates in us, We're going to look at verse 7, but if you read all of 1 Corinthians 13, you would be overwhelmed by what love is and what love is about. And I think one of the things that you would find as you read 1 Corinthians 13 is you would find your own failings laid out right before you. The second thing that you would find is you would be reminded of God's incredible love for us. And I hope that you would find a third thing as you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and that is, I hope you would find yourself challenged to live your life in a new way. To say, I cannot succumb to what my culture or what my society says love is. I've got to hold myself to something bigger and something greater. And that's the love of God. But in verse 7 of chapter 13, and I would encourage you to read, you know, 1 through 6 as well, but in verse 7, it says this about love. It says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then if you jump into verse 8, you will read, love never fails. So always protects. William Barclay, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says this about this idea of always protects. He says that love covers Everything, love will never drag into the light of day the faults and mistakes of others. He would rather set about quietly mending things than publicly rebuking them. He says more likely this protection idea means that love can bear any insult, any injury, any disappointment. Love protects, love's not gonna drag the other person through the negative junk of this world. And I started thinking about this, this idea that love would strive to protect the other, and and I was drawn to two real quick biblical examples of that. Back in December, we were talking about Mary and Joseph when we were talking about the Christmas story, and we were talking about the moment that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, and he knew he was not the father of this child. And we pointed out that in that scripture, It says that Joseph was a righteous man and did not want Mary to be criticized and humiliated. And so he was going to choose to deal with her quietly and privately. I think that's an example of this kind of love. I think when Jesus, just a week ago, we were talking on Easter Sunday and we talked about the events of his crucifixion, his trial and his crucifixion, and And Jesus chose to stay silent and not to drag anybody else, not to accuse back, not to enter into some big dialogue with these religious leaders and and Roman leaders. He could have. He could have. He chose not to. Love protects. Love always trusts. Love is completely trusting, always believes the best makes me wonder or maybe you think about the idea like hey if I'm going to live this way I'm going to get taken advantage of yeah maybe so maybe so but again I I have to ask if if we're going to embrace this kind of love the kind of love that God has shown in our own life, is, it, is that, okay, if the worst thing that I suffer is I get taken advantage of because I am choosing to believe, choosing to trust, wanting to believe the best about somebody else, and I get it taken advantage of, is if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I think I'm going to be okay. And if I truly believe that God loves me and has a better future for me, then really it's not going to matter in this short term. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Hopes the best. Hopes the best, even of wicked men. Even of my enemies. Jesus said that, right? Love your enemies. This is where love gets real, in in my estimation, when we think about uh, that kind of experience. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. From one of the commentaries I looked at this week, listen to this. Love clings tenaciously to whatever is holy, righteous, or good. It forcefully pursues whatever is true, honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, or excellent. It relentlessly strives after all these things to learn, receive, hear, and practice them. Love will persevere through any barrier any obstacle love will persevere will tenaciously hold and cling to what is right and good that's love so what does that look like in our relationships that's kind of where it meets the road right okay so this is we've got uh we got love is essential we we know that love is broken and and we believe that love will ultimately prevail that god offers a kind of love that goes beyond anything that this world offers but what does that look like in my relationship How does that shape my relationship? And that's really central to what we want to unpack over the next few weeks. That as we think about the different aspects, different relationships that are going to come up, it's all going to come back to how does my love, how does God's love expressed in my life shape this relationship? Because most of us would say that we're loving people. If if somebody asked you, you if you were a loving person, most of us would probably say, yeah. And then they would say, well, do, you, do you, love your, you, you love your kids? Well, yeah, I love my kids. Are you patient with your kids? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you start laying 1 Corinthians 13 against our love, we, we recognize, you know, do I, always, do I always believe my parents? Do I always believe they have my best in mind. Well, you know, that's where it starts to get real. So we we're recognizing as much as we aspire to this, we have growth. We have a, we have a need to grow. And that's what we want to unpack over these next few weeks. How can I love like this? How can you love like this? How can we love like this? We can love like this because we have been and we are loved like this by God. We can love because God has first loved us. And that's what this table this morning is about. And so this morning as we come to the table and we come to the communion table, we're reminded that this is the expression of love in our life, isn't it? That when we look at what Jesus did on our behalf, it's what happened in his willingness to go to the cross and be sacrificed for us. That that love is expressed. And so this morning as we hold these elements and as we take these elements, we're reminded of his body broken and his blood shed for us. So I'm going to give you uh, just some time to quietly contemplate that. And, and And the Bible says that we are to examine our hearts as we approach this table, as we think about God's love for us. I want to encourage you to do that. So let's go to prayer together. Let's pray.